1: Well, Garrett, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day in Atlanta. How about yourself? Doing well. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Um, Do you mind giving a brief bio and some of the big
0: ideas you're interested in?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Garrett Langley, uh, born and raised in Atlanta, uh, founder and CEO of a company called Flock Safety. And our kind of big point of view is that uh, crime is something that can be eradicated. Uh, there are societies and places in the world where crime doesn't largely exist. And although we have a crime problem in America, it's something that we think a uh, combination of technology, great people, great policy, uh, those three combined can lead to You know, our mission, which is to eliminate crime. Well, Garrett, um, can you talk about just like uh, some of the social costs
2: of crime? Uh, I, I think uh, it's something we've kind of glossed over in society, but crime can have all these kind of negative consequences for just everyday people going trying to go about their daily lives. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what's what's interesting, and look, I'm not, I'm not an academic. I don't have a PhD in, in research. But what's interesting is that there have been study after study that show that there is a kind of Direct correlation between crime, or inverse correlation between crime and economic mobility, uh, social conditions, health. So like, if you look at a health perspective, like the more crime there is, like there's actually more cardiovascular deaths. Uh, if you look at from a social mobility perspective, like every homicide in a place like Minneapolis was shown to reduce jobs by 80 per year. So like the, the the point being that, and this is logical, right? If I don't feel safe, I've removed almost one of the the lowest like Marlowe's hierarchy of what I need to do to have a fulfilled life. And so you see people leave, you see, you see less job creation, you see businesses shut down. And so there's kind of this systemic issue that if you don't solve crime and if you don't allow people to live their lives, everything else starts to fall apart. And I think, you know, I was I was talking to an individual who's been a customer for a few years now, and, and, and this is a lower-income uh, community in the, in the state of Tennessee, and his point was, for a lot of people, you know, if you are, have a desk job behind a laptop, you live in a crime-infested city, you just move, right? You have right. that kind of mobility because you make enough money. But the people who are actually at the most risk are the people who can't afford to move, and so then they get stuck in this cycle where they, they are stuck in a town that has a lot of crime or community. They can't get out. And they're the ones who want a crime reduction more than anyone. Um, and so to us, like we do view that as kind of our opportunity to help those communities. And that's what I think when technology at large is it's doing its best, is when it's taking you know, what might have historically been only available to the 1% or the 10%. And if I look at Flock and our business model, there isn't a neighborhood or city, an apartment complex in, in the country that can't afford our products. That's great. That's great. And can you talk about for the audience just what the product is and, and how it helps yeah. communities. Yeah. So we have a portfolio of products that are all focused on either devices, so hardware that detect evidence. We have a number of AI and, and ML models that decode that evidence. And then we have software that delivers the evidence. So what does that mean? Uh, let's talk about a really simple case. Um, let's say a stolen car is driving around the city of uh, San Jose, California. We have cameras throughout the city. When our camera sees that car, it immediately, using that computer vision, says, oh, that's a white Honda. It's got a roof rack, it's got a bumper sticker, and it has a California license plate that says ABC123. And according to the FBI, that car is marked as stolen. We don't know who's inside, we don't really care who's inside, but then our software delivers that information to the nearest officer, so they can go dispatch and apprehend that individual. That's very much on the proactive side, right? We're, we're tracking about a quarter of a million cars that have an active warrant or status of being stolen or an Amber alert or a silver alert. Um, and then on the on the reactive side, you know, when a crime does happen, that same type of computer vision of make, model, color, you know, about, about a couple dozen unique characteristics. Uh, in addition to that. Uh, we have a gunshot product called Raven, uh, and then we also have a, a a piece of software, a package of software that can consume third-party cameras and create what's considered a real-time crime center. Very cool. Very cool. And can you talk about just the current state of uh, a, a
2: crime in, in America? How you know how many are solved at this point, and how many are unsolved, yeah. and uh, and and how much better can you can we get with kind of the technology? Flog has developed.
1: Yeah, it's it's an alarming statistic that only about 13% of nonviolent crime leads to an arrest. So if you took statistics in, in school, assume that the average criminal falls on a bell curve. That means like if you're upper quartile criminal, like you'll never get caught. And like, yeah, bottom quartile has like a one in four chance of getting caught, but medium pack is one in 10. Those are pretty good odds. Like, it's pretty Impressive. easy to get away with crime. And if you go to the violent side, it's about 50-50, uh, which is good, right? That, that's that's promising. But that also means that one in 10 violent acts in America go with no justice being delivered. And I think that's pretty wrong. Like, I, I genuinely, I grew up in a household where your decisions have consequences. Yes. And so if you believe that, you know, our point of view is that until clearance rates are at 100% for violent and non violent we have a problem. And I think that as we were talking about earlier, this is this isn't really about a lack of effort. These people work really hard. Right. It's a resourcing problem and it's an evidence problem. And that's where I think we can help. Got it. Got it. Is it your sense we've gotten worse at solving crimes over
2: time? Are we at this kind of this equilibrium? Do other places do it better? Like, like what's your yeah. sense of that
1: here in the United States? Yeah, I would say. So there's an interesting fact, right? So t- two things that are, are happening in America that uh, are hard to correlate. One is the amount of transparency in the news is through the roof, right? Like whether you use Twitter, or Facebook, TikTok, pick your social media. We know everything that's happening in our communities now. And so while crime as, as a total is on a slight decline, our visibility to it is, is dramatically changed in the last 20 years. And so that Got creates a, a deeper sense of concern. That being said, though, our clearance rates are declining. So, so that's not good, right? So if you go back to the 1980s, that was kind of the peak of our clearance rates on violence. We were at about 70%. We're now down to 50%. And the, in my opinion, and, and, and I think most of my, my colleagues agree with this, the number one issue is staffing. You know, find a city in America that is properly staffed and I would be shocked. You see some of these big cities, take a Chicago or Atlanta where I live, and they're 10 to 20% understaffed. Wow. Like, which is, is that a, position a math they can't problem. Fill? It's a math problem. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Is that positions they can't fill or is that just, you know, um, a budget problem? Is it a no. combination
1: it's not budget. There's plenty of budget. They just they can't fill roles. I mean, you think about when when you know a generation ago, going into law enforcement, you know, you think about the the ideal American image and and an officer was looked upon with a lot of admiration. Right. I think that right. image has eroded, and what it's led to is a lack of applicants, uh, and it's led to higher attrition and retirement. Um, and gotcha. so people are coming in. You're getting out sooner. Uh, you've got all types of mental health issues in the job. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a grueling job, right? It's probably very much in line with a an ER nurse where right. you just deal with a part of life that most people never have to see and you see it every day. That, I mean, it's a it's pretty big mental load.
2: Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Garrett, can you talk about like the original, like the origin story of Flock? Like how did you yeah. have the first have the idea for the camera and and how did things get started for you?
1: Yeah, so I have no background in public safety. Um I'm an engineer, I'm an entrepreneur and about 5 years ago my neighborhood was the victim of large organized crime, uh, car break-ins yeah. and the representative from the Atlanta Police Department came by and just said, "Look, I'm really sorry, this isn't okay, but we can't do anything. We have no evidence." And myself and a lot of my, my community members felt like the real problem was apathy. Like, did he really care? Right. And we were wrong. Like, we were really wrong because I kept poking this guy, right? I kept asking more and more questions, right? The, the, the engineering mindset of like, tell me why, tell me why, tell me why. And you get down to it and he was like, I just need a license plate. I was like, come on, what do you mean you just need a license plate? That doesn't make sense to me. He said, look, without actionable evidence, so a grainy picture of someone's face... Isn't going to help me go solve the crime. I need to know who was in the area with hard, actual evidence. And so, I called two friends of mine that we had worked together. I said, "Hey, let's go. Let's go build some of these license plate reading cameras." And I mentioned I was an electrical engineer. I'm not an electrician, so I wasn't comfortable running any power. So we did solar powered cameras because that seemed easier. Uh, we didn't know that much about electronics, so we grabbed a bunch of old uh, Android devices off of Amazon. You know, tore them apart. My buddy Matt wrote all the software. Uh, we got him up and running, and it was really a project, right? This was not a company, it was never meant to be a company at first. Yeah. And then about two months later, we solved a crime. Like legit, someone's home got broken into. Uh they stole a bunch of stuff. There was only one car in the neighborhood that didn't live there when the crime happened. The police department put out a bolo on that car. The guy gets pulled over the next day. All the stolen stuff still in his car. And I remember very distinctively calling Matt and Paige and being like, this is real. Like every the product we've ever extra. bought, like I have a dog, I have a security system, I have a doorbell camera, I have all these devices, right? Yeah. But they don't actually lead to an arrest. And what I what I want is that justice. And if you look at the primary research, this is really fascinating. I had also falsely assumed that crime rates were directly or linearly correlated to the punishment levels, right? So like, we should be really hard on crime. That's like a thing, right? At least in America, there's no direct correlation. Interesting. And the only variable that people have been able to see any correlation to is the likelihood of getting arrested. So if you think you're going to get away with it, you just do it. But if you believe you're going to get caught, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at six months, one year, 10 years in jail, you're just not going to do it. And so what we're really focused on on Flock is driving that clearance rate up, right? Like, how do we make it known that if you commit a crime in America, in XYZ City, you're going to get caught? And what we believe and what the primary research shows is that crime will go down if you do that. So it's really about consistency of punishment,
2: not severity. A lot of people get it wrong. They all think it's severity. But it would make sense, like, if you have, you know, time preference and... You know, you have this huge, like, what's the difference between 10 and 20-year sentence? I'm not yeah. sitting there calculating that on the spreadsheet. Yeah. It's just whether or not I'm going to get caught.
1: Well, no, and look, if you look at the, the the data, your average criminal is an 18- and 24-year-old male. That is an undeveloped brain, right? It's the reason why you can't rent a car until you're 25. It's not because you're a bad driver. It's because you make bad decisions when you're young. Uh, exactly. you, you don't actually calculate consequence. And so it's about changing this Boolean math. There's no, it's not, there's no algebra here. There's no there's no like deep uh, calculus. It's Boolean math, like true or false. And so we got to flip it to true. I will get caught, and crime will go down.
2: That's great. That's
1: great. I, I really like that approach, and I think it's
2: um it, it's one where you can have a real impact on improving people's lives in a way that um uh you know most people are not thinking about, which is which is quite cool.
1: It's a double bottom line business. Like we get to build really cool technology. We get to live in the technology ecosystem, right? The, the, the venture-backed, high-growth companies. And we get to help people in the worst day of their life. It's pretty awesome. Great.
2: That's really cool. Um, Garrett, when did you know you, you had like, you had found this $20 bill on the sidewalk that this was going to be quite a big business? Was there, you, you know I, I know you found a large effect size when you saw, like, okay, we solved the crime. Yeah. That, that's a huge signal, like, I'm on to something. But when did you know that this was going to be, like, a really big business and, and venture scalable, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing for me was, I guess it, it, there was no one aha moment, right? There's these, these, these linear progressions, there's these linear milestones. So solving our first crime, the most important milestone, right? We had this brand promise, this brand idea of like, could we build technology that solves crime? We also had a belief that everyone wanted that, right? Like no yeah. one wants crime in their community. Everyone wants to be safe. So that was definitely the biggest. I, I would say... When we started to see the network effects and the momentum right where we 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 have a great marketing team don't get me wrong we have like a we have like a four person marketing team and we've got five hundred employees like because the product sells itself right like exactly. it has such an outsized impact and so I guess for me there's there's I always feel like we have a lot to learn a lot to figure out but you know the only other milestone I'll give you that was for any parents who are listening when we cleared or solved our first Amber alert, that's when it was like goosebump city. The whole company kind of was like, Amazing. Whoa, it's one thing to help someone get their stolen car back. You know, that that's tough, but like you can go buy a new car. You yeah. you, you know, it's, it's just a material item. When you help a parent who's lost their child, that's, that's next level. Um, and that for me was like, okay, we're clear. This is working, right? Like this is really working.
2: That's great. That's great. Yeah, you, you know, you can't, you can't place, you place your kid. And, and then, you know, that you're really onto something that is quite valuable for the world.
1: No, no for sure. I mean, we had have, we have this customer in Ohio. Uh, it's a small town. This might be a 7,000 person town. And they're spending, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year with us, which is a lot of money for a town that size. Yeah. And not, not too many weeks after installing the products. We we cleared an Amber alert there as a 13-year-old girl that got kidnapped by a, a sex offender. This was not a this was not good. Led to a high speed chase on the highway by Ohio State Patrol. Like this was the worst situation possible. And the chief went on record afterward and was like, this thing's already paid for itself, and I probably would have spent millions of dollars if I had known this was gonna happen in our town. And I think that a lot of our a lot of our towns and cities feel that way, which is this is just something that we have to do. We have to protect the community. That's great. That's great.
2: Um, I I really like it. Well, Garrett, I I want to shift a little bit and talk about um, the more macro of building a startup. Um, So, you know, you built a startup outside of Silicon Valley. I've just started on this this journey um, of, you know, flying to Silicon Valley to get capital because there seems to be no good capital in the Southeast that I've experienced. Um, And then flying back to build in North Carolina, you know what I mean? Um, can you talk, do you think there are advantages to building outside the bubble in Silicon Valley where, you know, especially in what you're building, you know, it, it's focused on an area that, you know, that part of the world does not want to think about as much, doesn't want to talk about. And it's also hardware focused and you know, everybody's like software. So do you think there's something yeah. good to build outside of the bubble and that you can have unique ideas and you're not as influenced by, you know, whatever the hype trend is, whether it's Web3 or something like that?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think if you go back to, was it um, Peter Thiel who made the, the comment, like, we wanted flying cars and we got 140 characters. Yeah, exactly. I, think the, I think the challenge with the traditional Silicon Valley bubble is everyone's focused on building B2B software, MarTech companies that help other companies make money. Right. And if you go to the roots of Silicon Valley, that's not what we were trying to do, right? The, the original incubation of Silicon Valley in the name was about making America a better country. And so, you know, there's this, this movement through Andreessen Horowitz, you know, this notion of American dynamism. I'm a deep believer in that. We're obviously kind of a, a part of their thesis. And if you look at that, the best ideas are coming from America at large. And so I think that if you get in that bubble, you, you only think about the problems you see. And the reality is San Francisco is a very unique place. And it does not represent... represent the average American life, and I think about you know our, our mandate. You know, one of the, I think the biggest strengths we have is our goal is not to eliminate crime in urban cities. It's not to eliminate crime in New York City, San Francisco. It's to eliminate crime, and I think to effectively do that, we have to have a representation of the company, right? And so we have employees across forty-five states now, and I think that's actually better for us because I don't know what it's like to live in Ohio. But I got a team of people that do live in Ohio, and their their opinion is different than their friends in Illinois, Indiana, Georgia, where I live, Florida, California, and all of that equally matters at Flock. Because it equally matters to the country. So I think that, to your point, early on, it's tough, right? There is less capital available outside of the Valley. That is like very risk versus. Like I'm sure there's money in North Carolina where you are. There's money where I am in Georgia. Right. It's really risk adverse. So I'm I'm the same boat as you. I raised all of my my seed capital uh, in San Francisco. Uh, great firms, like big believers in what we were trying to do. And I was really clear with them: it was like I have to build this company in Georgia because that's where my customers are. Yep. Like that that that's that's who we were going to be. That's where I live, and it would feel disingenuous to start a company trying to make the world better, but then leave my own hometown behind. So for us, like right. I think at the beginning it was a disadvantage, but as the company has scaled, it's become this huge unlock because we we deeply cannot build empathy for our customers because our employees are everywhere too. I love that. I love that.
2: Um, with the last couple of minutes, I, I want to talk yeah. about building a startup uh, serving local governments in particular. What is um what is important to understand when you're building a startup that serves local governments? You know, one of the things we run into is you know dealing with the, the go to market motion is is interesting. You know, managing discretionary limits, RFPS, etc. What kind of what's the if you could give me like one piece of advice starting out on this journey? What would it be in serving kind
1: of local governments? Hmm. So. I think that there's an analogy that we've stuck to with with local government, which is if you think about the local government as a business, most businesses buy products that do one of two things, save them money or make them money. Right. Right. But if you're running a government, you're not you're not running a profitable entity. But if you keep that analogy through. Then it's like, okay, what is what is the relative top line, bottom line for the person you're trying to serve? And so at Flock, right, we serve police departments. The top line revenue is crime, right? That's their North Star. It's like, can we catch criminals? And so we build products really focused on that. Uh, if I think about, you know, I, I have a friend who, who runs a company called OpenGov, very focused on helping companies, or in this case, cities. Save money, right? Be more efficient, and so when you when you remove the oh, it's government, and really focus on what they need to do to be successful, I think you can actually drive a shorter sales cycle. You can kind of like pinpoint where your product is going to fit into it. And I think in that case, you know, it, it is it is a way to do it. I would say on the downside, you know, one of the challenges we've faced, and you, and you you will face as well as you start to scale is there is a lot of technology talent that is nervous about going into a gov tech company I due to the, to, to the risk of being quote unquote, you're know, tagged as a gov tech person versus a technology person. And so we've relied on our you know investors to say, look, like go ask them, you know, I think you, you know, I think you're wrong. thinking that like, you're going to get tagged. The question is, is Flock going to be very successful? And if it is, no one's going to care whether it's it like, FinTech, GovTech, Martech, like, you are a part of a really, really successful company. And that's what matters for your career. That's great. That's great. I love that. And I
2: think that, I think that framing is is quite important um, for, you know, yeah, yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, One kind of uh, last question here. Um, What's next for Flock? What do the next 10 years look like for you guys?
1: Yeah. So right now, you know, like I said, we're at about 6% of all crimes in America. That number will continue to go up. We've got, two kind of really important milestones we're tracking towards. One is we believe in the next five years we can reduce crime in America by 25%. That will be incredible, right? That, that, is, that is we will take the current curve and we will bend the curve down and we'll see less crime. The kind of intermediate milestone that I want to see is when can we have our first city that has a crime-free year? And not like a, you know, oh, we have a thousand people and everyone's friendly and that's a yeah. neighborhood. I right. mean, you know, let's call it a quarter of a million, over 100,000, like a real town to small city. When can we build the right mix of technology? When can we help train the police department? When can we work with policymakers to establish better policy so that, you know, s- s- town in Indiana, town in Illinois, town in Ohio and Florida can say, we had a year with no crime because of our partners at Flock. And that, to me, will be the coolest moment we have achieved. I love that. I love that, Garrett. I love that.
2: Um, Well, Garrett, you know, if if people uh, found this conversation interesting, say they're a software engineer or, you know, they're a really good account executive, uh, where can they find you? Where should we send people?
1: FlockSafety.com. We are hiring in every department from accounting to sales to marketing to engineering. To technicians, if you want to be in the field and help dig holes and install cameras, we need everyone. Uh, So check us out at flocksafety.com and we'd love to talk. Awesome. Thanks so much, Garrett.
0: Special thanks to our sponsor, Bismarck Analysis, for the support. Bismarck Analysis creates the Bismarck Brief, a newsletter about intelligence grade analysis of key industries, organizations, and live players. You can subscribe to Bismarck Brief at brief.bizmarkanalysis.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives. Special thanks to
2: Donovan Dorrance, our audio editor. You can check out Donovan's work and music at donovandorrance.com.